When you hear the term prophecy, what do you think of? Many people think of dire warnings of end-time apocalypse with images of popular sci-fi movies and the world falling apart. But what is prophecy, specifically prophecy in the Bible, all about? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805. In our podcast today, we'll see that the books of the Bible, after Psalms and Proverbs and all of those books, the books that we call the prophetic books that actually make up a very big chunk of the Old Testament are about so much more than end times and disasters. And they also have a lot of really surprising applications for us today. Before we begin our historical study of the books and the history that goes along with them, I wanted to do an overview and an introduction to prophetic books because if we don't read them correctly, we really won't understand them properly. So first of all, let's review where we are. We are at the end of Solomon's reign in our Old Testament history, and this is where many people's knowledge of the Old Testament history stops. As to reading their Bibles, many people stop after Psalms and Proverbs, and very few Christians can tell you what's in the books from the end of these poetic books, from uh, from the end of them until the end of the Old Testament. It's kind of this fog of sometimes verses pull out of maybe Isaiah that we read at Christmas time. But as far as actual content and how it can apply to us today, many Christians would be at a loss. But this is so sad, and I'm really excited to be starting on this series of lessons because I know in my own life, it made a huge difference in my Christian life, in my view of the Bible, in my understanding of how God works once I read and studied and understood, at least to whatever my limited understanding can encompass, these particular books. You see, when we don't read all of these books near the end of the Old Testament. I thought it's kind of like walking out in the middle of a movie. You see the start of a movie, and it's a great movie, and it's really interesting, and all this action's going on, and then you decide to leave for maybe 45 minutes of the movie. And then you come back for the last 10 minutes. That's really what it's like when you read the Old Testament to this point. We've read the Pentateuch, we got through the laws and all that, but then we got into the history and that was really interesting. And the poetic books are really not that hard to understand. But then if you leave out this big chunk and then only start reading your Bible again when you get to the New Testament, you have left out so much of God's story, and you really can't understand a lot of things in the New Testament and God's overall plan for humanity if you don't understand these prophetic books. So we're going to go into them. We're going to go into all the history and how they fit in. We'll do that because in our reading plan, what's really neat about it, and the reason I love this plan so much is that it takes the prophetic books and it puts them in the historical order that the messages were given. And I think you're going to find this fascinating. I don't want to give away too much right now, but when you see the actual setting of the book of Jonah, 
you'll see that it's much more than a story about a man being swallowed by a whale and I don't want to I don't want to go into any more of that now but let's just get into the introduction now into the prophetic books now I want to give credit where credit is due and a lot of my material on this comes from the book how to read the Bible for all it's worth by Stuart and fee it's a fantastic book I highly recommend it and I do want to give them credit for a lot of the comments on prophecy and how to understand and interpret the books correctly. But first, let's talk about just some basic facts about the prophets. There are five what are called major prophets and 12 what are called minor prophets. This has nothing to do with the importance of the prophets, when they wrote, or anything like that. It's just the size of the, of the books themselves. The five major ones are really long, and the five minor ones are fairly short. The five major ones consist of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Lamentations is oftentimes grouped with them because Jeremiah also wrote it. And sometimes in, um, actually in the Hebrew Bible, it's, it's part of Jeremiah. So those are the major prophets. Then the minor ones are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Now, again, these are the ones that are at the end of your Old Testament. Now what's really hard about this is the order that they're in because it makes no sense absolutely whatsoever. The order that they're in in our Bible is not historical. It it does have to do with the major and minor prophets, but so what? You know, what does that have to do with our understanding of them? They are they make up what I call sort of a do you really love me part of the Bible. And what I mean by that, it's kind of like God says, do you really love me enough to actually study where these books fit in and what they're about? You see, we expect to have to study very carefully and conscientiously, say, a textbook on neuroscience. We know neuroscience is a very big deal topic and it's very important. And so we would expect that a book about it would be complex. The Bible is no different. We tend to want to dumb down the Bible and to sort of dumb down what's necessary to understand it. But it takes study. It takes careful looking at when was it written, who wrote it, what was the situation. And of course, I'm going to be helping you out on all of that. But please don't just think that, oh, those books just don't make any sense at all, and I don't understand them. You see, most people look at them either one of two ways. They'll read selected passages out of them, and they'll think, oh, this is just angry old guys ranting and raving about judgment in the future. Oh, this terrible thing is going to happen, and that terrible thing is going to happen, and whoa, whoa, whoa. So they think of it as that. And then on the more positive side, as I mentioned briefly earlier, passages like in Isaiah, where it talks about the coming Messiah, or talking about him being born in Bethlehem, and they look at these wonderful messages, and and they're there. They're wonderful. However, people are often surprised to learn that less than 1% of these books deal with prophecy about events that are yet to come. 1%. This is really important that you understand this. And we'll go into detail more in the coming couple of months that we're going to be going into these. But also, less than 2% have anything to do with prophecies about the coming Messiah. The books overall are far less 
angry and judgmental than many people assume because they've never really read them and they don't really understand how much of them talk about the love and the patience and the kindness of God. So if they're not about these things, what are they about? This is really important. What they're actually really about is they are about prophecy that will happen in the near future, not the far future. Most of the prophecies and their fulfillment took place within the lifetime of the people that the prophets preached to. That was the whole point. The prophet said to them, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more in a minute, that if you do thus and so, God will do thus and so. The people did or didn't do it, and then that whatever they prophesied was fulfilled. A very interesting one on just a little tiny picture of how short a prophecy can be. There's a story in First Kings 22 of Ahab and the prophet Micaiah. Ahab is getting ready to go into a very big battle, and he gets the king, he's the king of Israel, he gets the king of Judah to go to battle with him, and before they go to battle, the king of Judah, who is Jehoshaphat, who is a godly man, Ahab was a really wicked man, Jehoshaphat says, we need a prophet of the Lord to tell us if this is a good idea and what's going to happen, and Ahab says, no, you know, I don't, I don't really want to do that. He said, no, no, we have to do that. So Ahab has his little group of prophets, and they're all what are called lying prophets. And they go, you'll be successful. Just go into battle. You'll be successful. And then Jehoshaphat sees right through him, and he says, isn't there a true prophet of God who will tell us what's actually going to happen? What we should do? And he says, yeah, there's this guy named Micaiah, but he always prophesies bad things. Jehoshaphat says, call him in. Micaiah comes in, he shows up, he says, Ahab, you're going to die. You're going to die in the battle. That's what's going to happen. And Ahab says, see, I told you, he just says bad things. And so they throw him in prison, and they go into battle, and it's a fascinating, fascinating passage because the army that they're fighting, they only want to kill the king of Israel. And it says that um, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and why he did this, kind of one of his dumber moves, he's the one that goes into battle dressed like a king, and so they go after him. But they realize this is the king of Judah, not the king of Israel. And it says that Ahab actually disguised himself when he went into battle because he kind of believed Micaiah, but he thought, well, I'm going to disguise myself and then nothing will happen. And the Bible actually says a random arrow flew and hit between the scales of his armor, and it killed him. God's prophecies are sure. But you see, here was one that was a warning and a prophecy in a very short time span. Now, many of them were longer time spans, but we also see this kind of near prophecy in all. And there are so many things, not only that the people at that time could learn from listening to the prophecies, but there's a lot for us. There are many of them also that are quite timeless. There's one verse that this doesn't actually really fit in anywhere, but I just had to share this with you because I think it is so appropriate to our time today. And actually, a lot of the books, a lot of verses in the prophets are like this. But here is what Isaiah 8, 12 through 14 says. And if this doesn't speak to our world today, I don't know what does. This is what it says. Do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy. 
Do not fear what they fear or be in dread. The Lord of hosts, him is the one you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will become a sanctuary. The prophecy to the people then and the challenge to them then was there's all kinds of crazy things going on politically. And there were back in those days. We'll get into some of them when we discuss the history. And I think you're going to find them really fascinating. But the prophet Isaiah is saying, don't call conspiracy everything that they call conspiracy. And don't be afraid. Only fear God. God is the only one to fear, and he, it will be a safe place for you. So there's a lot of things uh, in the prophets that are like this. There was a past application, but there are great lessons for us today, although we don't want to be too specific exactly on them, things that we can learn. Now let's talk for a minute about the audience and the authority for the prophets. Their audience was primarily Israel and Judah, but often they spoke to the surrounding nations, and an application for us from this is that all people are accountable to God. This is something that I think people find very interesting because they think God was only focused on Israel and Judah at this time. But he held other nations accountable and he speaks very directly to them in these books. As far as the authority, the prophets again and again emphasize in every single one of their writings that the message was not their own. The Bible is probably in this instance more specific than in any other where the writer will say again and again, this is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me and said, they make it very specific that they are not the ones who came up with the content, the words, the timing, any of those things. This comes directly from God. And one of the things too that we see is that If we listen to the words closely, we really see the heart of God. We see his love. We see his patience. We see that there's hope if people repent. And the Proverbs, not the Proverbs, excuse me, the prophets are so much more positive than, than many people think. Now, another thing that's really, really important is that you understand when these prophecies were given and when they were written down. Now, the reason the dating of the prophets is so important is that there is a there's a lot of contemporary well not a lot there's there are certain schools of contemporary biblical criticism that I consider and many other conservative bible writers and commentators consider not really biblical at all but there are contemporary commentators that like to date all of these books much 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 later than they've been dated for centuries and that Jewish history and that most scholarship dates them and the reason that this is critical that they're dated properly is if something was written after the fact obviously it's not prophecy it's commentary but if it was written well before the act before what happened took place then it's prophecy and then we see the power of God in this this is particularly important and I will be showing you examples of it as we go along but just one example of this is with Cyrus who is the king that gave the decree for Israel 
to be able to return to their own land, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, to return to their own land after the Babylonian captivity. Now, the reason that dating of the prophet Isaiah is so important is because he is the first one who names Cyrus, and he names him by name. He says, my servant Cyrus, and I'm sort of rewording this, and we'll go into it, into it in detail when we get to Isaiah. But he says, my servant Cyrus is the one who is going to let the people return to their land. What is extraordinary about this is Isaiah wrote this 400 years before Cyrus was born. And you see, if the book of Isaiah is dated after the captivity and after the return, it has no power at all. But if we see and we understand that this was written way in advance and we can prove that archaeologically and in many other areas and I will show you that when we get get to the book then we see the power of God. Archaeology is really our friend here and we will as we go through the different lessons I will bring up the different ones that apply and some of it's just absolutely fascinating. One other thing that's really important to understand is the timing in the books and God's view of time. You see, we have to remember in all these prophetic books that God is the ultimate writer. He stands outside of time. We can't understand this. It doesn't make sense but um, to us in our, our human vague understanding. I've sometimes used the analogy of if someone was up in the commentator's box at a long parade, they could see the whole parade from beginning to end. If you're down in the stands, you only see what's going on right in front of you. And that's really a pretty good analogy. God sees the whole thing. He can write about it. He can say, this is going to be happening even when that part of the parade is a long way from passing you by. And we need to keep that in mind. Now, what's confusing, though, is sometimes the two viewpoints of what's right in front of us and what's in the future are combined. They're combined in the same passage, and it's hard to tell, and we will deal with passages as we go along, what is going to happen in the near future and what will perhaps happen at the end of time. An example of, one example that's sometimes used is it's kind of like two mountain ranges. If you're standing in front of two mountain ranges, they might look like they're right next to each other. But you get to the top of one mountain range, and you see this huge valley between the two mountain ranges. And that's a little bit what the prophetic books are like. Some things happen early on in human history and some aren't until the end. That valley is the human history in between. One example of this is the story of the dry bones coming to life in Ezekiel. You know, that's the story that these bones uh, get knit together and then they form this person and all that kind of stuff. And that's where the spiritual dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones, etc. And I won't sing anymore and bore you, but that's uh, that story was actually taken as a prophecy that Israel would come to life 
after the captivity would once again become a sovereign nation, which seemed absolutely impossible. They had been destroyed. They were taken into captivity. But the prophecy was they would become a nation again. That's the near-term prophecy. But it's also very clearly understood that at the end of time, at the end of all human history, all of humanity will come to life like those dry bones and we will live. So you see there's this dual timing in prophets and in the prophets in their messages and we will talk about each of them as we get to them. Now what then was the overall task of the prophets if it wasn't just to yell at people and to talk about the end times? Well Stuart and Fee describe this in a really great way and many other commentators too but they describe the prophets as covenant enforcement mediators what in the world does that mean well what that means is remember when we started our bible study that god gave his people the israelites a covenant in the books of leviticus and deuteronomy particularly he says you know, I will be your God, you will be my people. These are the things you are supposed to do. These are the laws you are supposed to keep. And the people said, oh, we'll do that. We will do that. We'll promise we'll do that. And God said, be very careful, because if you do not do these things, here is what will happen to you. There will be curses on the land. You will have many hardships, and ultimately you will be removed from the land. You see, God does not just give his law, but he enforces it. And that is the message of the prophets. For hundreds of years, they told people, you are sinning, you are doing what is wrong. If you don't return to God, judgment will come upon you. You will eventually be conquered and removed from the land. That is, in a nutshell, their overall message. The people did not do it what God promised happened, and they were punished. And so you see, what this tells us about God, and where this is so important, that what we see in as them being covenant enforcement mediators, they're enforcing the covenant of a God who, number one, does not act capriciously in judgment. A lot of people think God just kind of looks down, he doesn't like something, zap, you're dead. No. For centuries, literally, God warned the people. He took them back again and again. He said, I told you, you must live this way. You must serve me only. You must not serve other gods. You must not sacrifice your children. You must not commit adultery. You must not be evil towards each other. You must not lie or steal or pollute the land with the sinful things that you do. And he warned them again and again and again. Our God, though, always tells the truth. When he says, if you do these things, you will be judged. He is a God of truth. And he actually has to fulfill his word in punishment just as much as he does in blessing. 
Again, though, these are not primarily messages about judgment and punishment. They are illustrations of the character of God. You, we see his patience. God is so patient. When you read through these books and you realize the time that it took, oh my goodness, I don't know. You know, I'm not that patient. You know, I want somebody to change and I want them to change now. <laughs> Shape up or ship out. Um, my father I shared with you was a drill sergeant and, you know, that's just what I expect. You toe the line or you're dead. <laughs> well, not really, but actually with the Jewish people, that kind of was the situation. But um, but God was very, very patient. And not only did he love them and did he wait and give them opportunity after tuning after opportunity to repent, but also we see how he wanted to restore them, and he does. So this is, you know, there's just some really wonderful messages in these books. Now underlying the message of the prophets on this covenant restoration is also very strongly the importance for their lives and ours of what's called both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. These are theological terms that simply mean orthodoxy is correct belief. Orthopraxy is correct living. And you see, God called his people again and again to a balance of both. Yes, they were supposed to believe the right things, but then they were also supposed to act in a certain way. The very same idea is repeated in the New Testament again and again. James says, what good does it do if you just say you believe in God? He says, that's no better than the devils. They all believe they know there's a God. They know there's a Jesus. But he says, we've got to live out our faith. We've got to show that it's real. Jesus said, don't just love God, love your neighbor. And there's always been this balance of the two things of correct belief, but then of correct living that follows it. And the prophetic books will help us see God's demands. And some of them are really amazing. Uh, some things that we, we kind of like to ignore. How he talks about how we need to treat the poor, be kind to aliens, how we need to treat one another. There are some very contemporary lessons that we need to learn. Now, for the people that followed his laws, there would be blessings. And even one of the things that you're going to see, even in the midst of judgment, we see that there are always individuals that God saved through things. There was always a place for godly people to be protected and saved, no matter how difficult the life around them might be. Now, some of the other final lessons that we can learn from this. When we read all of the prophets and we see the history that was fulfilled in what they promised, what he, they said God would do, he did it, this came to pass, this should give us tremendous confidence that God will do what he says he will do. And in the New Testament, we have many prophecies and promises of the future. And just as God fulfilled what he said he was going to do in the Old Testament, he will do the same today. Sometimes people say, and, and it even talks about in the Bible, well, you know, the world's been going on like it has been for thousands of years. Is, is Jesus really coming back? Yes, he is. And he is coming back this time in judgment for the world. And he's coming back 
of course, to fulfill all his promises of joy and restoration and justice and eternal life for those who love him. But also, he will fulfill the promises of judgment for those who disobey. For those who love him, it will be like the last verse of the book of Obadiah, where it says, And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's all for now. Please check out the notes for this lesson there in downloadable PDF format and the other materials that are on www.bible805.com. Please do sign up, subscribe for this podcast so you get it regularly. As we're going through these books of the prophets, you really don't want to miss any of them. I guarantee that it will change your life tremendously. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prim your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.